Come on. Oh, gosh. Uh, is it going to work? Good morning. Um, we're having technical difficulties right off the bat. So hang on a second and let's try this again. Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy Giacalone and thank you for joining us. Um, I just realized that the technical difficulty was actually me and uh, I don't know what was going on in my little brain this morning, but apparently it was not firing on all cylinders. So thank you for your patience. And I'd like to welcome everyone. Um, our guest, our special guest today is Jen Walsh with Genuine Shift. For those of you joining us for the very first time, Recipe for Success came about because of my love of cooking and curiosity about actually what makes things work and makes things successful. And by things, I actually mean people. Um, one of the things I learned when I was cooking was there was always one key ingredient or technique that was really critical to the outcome or the success of the recipe that I was making. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized the same thing was true in life and in business. So today, again, I'd like to welcome Jen Walsh with Genuine Shift. She's going to talk to us about some modernizing training and some really cool things that she's doing. So welcome, Jen. I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about your career history. Thanks, Nancy. Excited to be here. Somebody pointed out to me the other day when I mentioned I had almost 32 years of experience that that meant I began in employee benefits field in the late 1900s. And I'm still kind of wrestling with that. So for my, my peers out there who have been at this since the eighties and nineties, you know, another way to, to frame what we know and why we know it. Uh, but four years ago, um, what I realized was that I'm a builder. I am passionate about this business and that perhaps in this kind of accidental career, as most of us have had, I could leverage this knowledge of um, serving our teams, serving our collective clients from a different perspective, you know, in a different capacity. And uh, founded Genuine Shift four years ago and really love it. Awesome. So um, obviously you had a foundation in account management, uh, leading teams for other firms. Um, and again, I will admit, I also started my career in the late 1900s, in the 80s. So I'm right there with you. Um, but anyway, what prompted your shift into starting your own business and, and launching this training program? Great. So having um, over that 30 plus years been in the carriers, then at a, a large regional broker, it was um, seeing patterns that were so consistent within the industry where they were just obstacles to people doing their best work, people being frustrated. And by people, I mean at the most senior leadership levels and you know, owners, key principals, and um, the people who work with our clients directly every day. And I thought, how can this be in such a great industry that many people don't even really know about? You know, we want to attract them over. Right. How, how do we um, get interesting work done, but with a little less stress and less friction? 
And so it was kind of leveraging that past experience to um, have conversations with, with people about their business and see if there were some more effective ways uh, to work. Well, I think that um, most of us in the business, especially if we are leaders, um, agency owners, consultants, we do that really well, but we don't always train and bring others up really well. I think it's a big, I'll say it's a big weakness for me. Um, I wish I was better at it. I wish I could say, oh, I do such a great job. The, the fact of the matter is I don't. Um, and uh, I, I work really hard to try to do better. I always have the best intentions. So it's really exciting to see um, someone like you out there providing this service and really um, setting a standard. I'm chuckling as you're talking because so often I say to my clients, whether it's in a larger group or one-on-one, -on -one, I'll say, look, this advice is offered to you from my experience, having it done it incorrectly at least once to multiple times until I, I got it straight on yeah. what was more effective. And in the fast paced world we're living where, you know, kind of there are no extra bonus points for pain and, and repeatedly having those same issues. And then also, you know, I went to a practice interview as a history major. And next thing I knew, I was a group rep. Yeah. And certainly then I was an accidental producer who became an accidental practice leader. And nobody ever told me how to run a multi-million dollar business, let alone yeah. how to build ahead and up level and coach people. And so I have deep empathy for leaders within our industry who are doing the best they can. They are, you know, kind of clean up aisle one, clean up aisle two, like think strategic, serve a client, bring in new clients, take care of your people in a chaotic time. And you, you put all that together and, um, and people want to do great work, whether they're owners or they're within client service. And so where we can remove obstacles so that at least when they show up, they're dealing with the true complexities of what we do, but not frustration or kind of the mind garbage of they're not enough or they're not doing yeah. great work, which, you know, sometimes they just don't know the awareness that everybody at every firm you yeah. know, the same way. And that's yeah. the perspective that I see. Yeah, I agree. So um, I know that when you kind of went on on your own, you kind of, you started a little bit doing some consulting and coaching and really with your, with your organization, coaching is really at the heart of what you're doing. I'm, we can call it training, we can call it coaching, but I have noticed that coaching is somewhat of a trendy word these days. It seems like, especially if you're on LinkedIn or social media, everyone's a coach. It's right. like all of a sudden, oh, I'm a coach for this, I'm a coach for that. I'm like, okay, um, what are your credentials? How it makes you qualified to, to do that? But more than that, what, why do you think that people seem to be so much more willing and almost eager to seek out coaching and mentorship to help them level up. I think if I think back again, you and I have been in the industry for a long time. And if I think back, that was not very acceptable. Even five years ago, it was maybe starting to gain a little bit of momentum, but, but certainly even 10 years ago, it was not a thing. So what do you think the shift has been? I think there are a couple of things uh, going on. I think one is just the business reality that we are living in a really complex time. So if we think just about employee benefits, although I do have now some people in property casualty who are in the programs, but if we think specifically about employee benefits, the, the complexity of the things we ask everybody to think about and execute on is 
is a lot more difficult. Um, navigating helping clients make really tough decisions requires a different skill set. So I think there's kind of that business need. The second in our industry is that so many owners, managers, supervisors are playing dual roles. And so there's a business reality that A, they were never trained. So where is the coaching opportunity to help them lead, manage their teams more effectively? But also one way when I'm partnering with a, a firm is that it's almost like I'm a fractional executive who can help coach and lead their teams while they are out finding new clients, bringing right, new right. clients, doing acquisitions, recruiting producers. So it's kind of that fractional leadership piece. And then the third, I would say, has to do with this new world of work that historically, if we talked about um, kind of coaching training, there's the technical training. But often in our world, the, the way Joan learned about how to really negotiate with a tricky client, kind of coaching through difficult situations, was by listening to Nancy on the other side of a cube do it. Right, right. And, and we've lost that. I, you know, I'm not sure how effective or scalable that was, but particularly once we got into 2020, and now with people not going back to work with that regular cadence, I think there's just a gap. So, and, and then coupled with the fact that most people don't want to sit there listening to Karen for a year and a half to learn, they want to move a little more quickly. Uh, so all of those things come together. Um, and then that asterisk with coaching, I do think sometimes people think it's like a little California woo-woo. Um, it's, a, it's a luxury. What I can tell you after having 150 people go through our programs is that um, if you really go to the scene of the crime, where colleagues get crosswise, crosswise with each other, or you get upside down with a client, it's usually not because of something technical. It's because of how we showed up. Um, I remind people, you know, clients hire us to be led. So coaching people on how to speak with authority and confidence on something they've never done before is tricky. And yeah. so all of those things, I think is why coaching is top of mind. Well, I know personally that I do better when I'm continually being coached. I'll use that term um, uh, because it, it does continue to push me and challenge me to, to do better, to be more, to, to just be my, the best version of myself. And I mean, really, I think that Part of the reason, at least in my opinion, that, that coaching feels better than a hiring a mentor or a, whatever other term you might use is because if you think about a professional athlete, they never quit having a coach. Right. Not only do they have their team coach, but generally they have a personal coach as well because they can't be the best version of whatever it is they're trying to do if they don't have someone leading them and showing them the way. Right. And I think it's almost um, as important creating the space. So, so I have a business coach, sometimes just in having that 40 minutes on the calendar. Yep. And then I'm thinking about things a little differently in the 15 minutes, even if I'm rushing before we get together. And then when she'll say, well, what's on your mind? Simply the process of me saying out loud what I'm reconciling, you know, and rumbling with, usually I can come to a better answer on the other end of that because it's somebody helping guide that discussion. Yeah. And 
you know, we all face the, oh, well, I don't have time or an hour. It's like, well, but if it saves you 10 hours or it protects you from making a bad decision, you know, maybe that's a good investment. Right. Um, so I'm going to actually go back to something you mentioned about, um, you know, as a result of the pandemic, really workforces that changed dramatically. I don't think they'll ever go back to the way they were before. But I also, at least in my opinion, feel there's going to be some middle ground that we're going to reach. Because you mentioned that people learned from other people. And we, I still see that in my, in my agency because I have a younger team. And if I send them all home and say, okay, you're going to work remotely. And yes, we can do this on teams. It's not the same. We were struggling with a, with a claims issue this morning that really needs to be paid and that we had to kind of take the insurance company to task in a professional way that, okay, you guys are actually wrong here and this is why you're wrong and it needs to be fixed. Every single person was gathered around that, around the, the call, which we had on speaker, because everyone wanted to understand exactly what the issue was and how they could address it. Excellent. You don't get that when you're in a remote situation. So I don't know, but I personally think there's going to be some level of hybrid workforce as we move forward, because it it's just not the same when you're completely by yourself. I think... I'm not emotionally attached to either in the midst of all this right. I'm out of my dining room and got an office sure. in the Bay Area because I actually needed the ritual and some separation from home and life. I love what I do, but that meant I was doing it all the time. Um, I also do think pulling people together, it's it's Priya Parker wrote this great book, The Art of Gathering, and I would recommend that to anyone because whether you're hosting a client event, something for prospects, or pulling your employees together for your client service team meeting, mm -hmm. she invites you to really interrogate what's the purpose of the meeting. Right. And because once we know the purpose and how we'll know if it was effective, then we can probably decide if being hybrid or back in the office makes sense. I think in the insurance industry, one of the... the, the um, Things we need to be on the lookout for is that we really like to come up with a work group, come up with a plan, hear ye, hear ye, here is our policy, and then we go on to other things. And we're not that comfortable with iterating. So if you think about tech companies where it's, you know, minimum viable product, let's pilot something. We're okay if it's a little wobbly, be 80%. We're not very good at that. No. There's a reason because we like to avoid risk. We like certainty. We like contracts. So I think when I see people say, well, we are returning to work or we are hybrid, it's like, well, why don't we all agree that we're going to revisit? Think ahead. How will we know in eight weeks if this is working? Be open that we might uh, change it up a little bit. And certainly if we're going to be remote, let's be intentional. The elephant in the room is how are we going to train? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to make sure we fill that gap with training? On the other hand, if we're coming into the office, we better not just ring a bell, make everybody come back in and then not do the things like you modeled for your team today. Because if you're going to pull everybody back to only sit at their desk to be on right. a team's meeting, I, I, every once in a while it's going to happen. But I was yeah, let's look for a pattern. Uh, so I think it's yeah, creating those um, opportunities for people to learn with intention is a biggie. Oh, I love that. That's really, really uh, thoughtful. Um, so I've been connected with you on social media for a while, um, but really what caught my attention was you created this 
um, series of posts called Elevate in 28. And you provided such practical and actionable tips. And it wasn't just for um, employees, but it was for employers as well. So what inspired you to kick that one off? Oh, well, so first of all, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Sometimes you sit here writing, posting. You're a creator also, so you yes. may feel the same way from time to time. Uh, shout out to everyone. If you like it, just give us a give us a like or a comment or send us a message so we know you're out there, you know. Uh, but I actually, back in October, did 31 from 31. So I did 31 tips for surviving fourth quarter from the 31 years that I've been at this business. And I loved the rigor and the discipline that came with needing to create and post every day. So then I decided I'm going to do this. And so then I thought about, okay, in February, what is um, the right topic? And I really wanted to elevate the discussion of client service as the impactful force that it is because it's more and more important in the acquisition of new business now and retention. And Seth Godin, um, in fact, I've got this here. I highly recommend this book, The Practice. He, he's been blogging every day for, I don't know, 10 plus years. And he says, the, if, you, if you are a creator and you commit to doing something every day, it takes the emotional burden off of, well, should I do a LinkedIn post today or not? So the, I just decided, you know, I have something to share, something to say. I'm going to do it in February. I'm going to narrow my theme so I'm not all over the place, which is a risk I sometimes have. And then you have to just trust the process. By nature of averages, half are going to perform better than the other half. It doesn't mean that the ideas aren't worthy. So then it's just fascinating to see which posts um, resonate. And I think we can't just think, oh, I'm going to just do something for leaders or producers. The reality is we are a complex ecosystem that is interdependent on each other. And the more a producer understands client service and client service understands the things uh, practice leaders might be wrestling with, I think it raises the bar um, and the output for everyone. Yeah, no, I thought it was it was terrific. And, and I do agree with you uh, as far as content creation is it is a discipline. And the more you make it a discipline, the easier it becomes. Um, and it does take a lot of the emotion and the fear and everything else out of it. I also think that um, the, the posts that take off or the ones that really resonate with people are not always what we expect. 100%. <laughs> You'll put one in, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This is crickets. And then another one, you just like kind of throw it out there. And all of a sudden, everyone's um, commenting and interested in it. And like, okay, didn't know that one was going to touch a, you know, touch a sore spot. But it's it's very interesting. So. Um, one of my favorite tips that you shared was um, the grass may be greener or it may be different, but it isn't necessarily greener somewhere else, mm -hmm. which um, I think is so very true. And I recently read, I think it was in Brene Brown's book, actually, that there's actually a phenomenon when you look over the fence, the grass actually looks greener, but when you it's just the way your perspective is. But then when you actually stand on the other side of the fence, you realize it's exactly the same grass that was on, on the other side. Um, so I think that so true. But one of the things that you brought up about that was, okay, so you decide you want to, if you're a, whatever position you're in, you decide that you are going to leave, this is going to be better for you, but not to surprise your supervisors or your team to have a discussion about it. And I think that that is such an important tip for people 
And I'd love to chat about that with you for a few minutes. I am so glad that resonated with you. And I actually just did some analysis. That was the top post in the month of February. <laughs> so that, that um, definitely struck a chord. One of the things when I'm working with folks at all levels, I'll remind them as, you know, as a recovering practice leader and owner is that your, your leadership is a lot of things. Mind reader is not one of them. And for every person who used to want me to pay for their parking in downtown San Francisco with somebody else who wanted to work from home, which used to be a thing. And, and it's very difficult to guess. So <clears throat> empowering people to have calm, professional, thoughtful conversations with their leadership. It might be uh, the type of work you're doing. It might be the perceived lack of opportunity. It might be workload. It might be comp. It might be some blend. But the goal is let's not surprise people. Let's not blindside people. Always show up professionally and show up with intention. We never want to start that conversation when, you know, that email or that phone call or a trigger. And so best is if there is some rumbling, if you are feeling like there's, this is no longer the place for you for whatever reason, the advice I give to everybody is to, first of all, spend some time looking at some patterns. What's really going on here? Think about who you can have that conversation with. Be practical. In most environments, people cancel one-on-ones or their leader, they both roll in hot from another thing. Don't surprise people with what's about to come because, you know, say one of the things I'd like to talk about when we connect is um, some questions I have about my career path. It's because then it allows the other person to show up their best self. Because <laughs> then if they called me, if you called me and said, oh my gosh, Jen, someone just said they want to meet, you know, I'd say, well, look, like, you know, what's going on here? You don't have to respond right in the minute. Make sure they have the opportunity to share everything that's on their mind. So first of all, it's showing up and saying, in three months and six months, is there a path for me to be at this point? So part also is educating people on what your process is, um, tangible on what we need to see to get there. Um, and you know, So ultimately, it's not, I'm coming in to resign, and it's a big surprise. Um, you know, optimally, it's a conversation that goes something like, you know, Nancy, over the last six months, we've been trying to create a path for me to manage a team or have more complex clients or earn the right to ask for more comp by showing this. And, you know, just based on no matter what we've done, that's not been successful. And I feel like um, it's time for me to go towards a different challenge. And in the best possible way, we can do that professionally, kind of wind down things, transition. And the advice I give to everybody is make sure you're going towards something, not going away from something, because that's where this grass greener thing will jack you up. Because look, your inbox is, you're going to be overwhelmed with email wherever you go. I can just right. you right now. So that's, I think, the spirit of the conversations. And particularly for leaders as it relates to client service, where my heart and passion really is. A blind spot I had for many years was why well, I have an open door. And th the facts did support that when somebody did come to me and ask for something specific, I always was able to advocate and meet them where they needed. 
the blind spot I had was not everybody was comfortable to ask. Yes. And I, that's, I've just had to learn that. And particularly as we think about diversity in the workplace and the fact that people bring to the table their own work experience, they might be first-generation professional, they may um, uh, be a neurodiverse learner and writing things out instead of having a conversation. I just think we, we need to be open as leaders and not hide behind the fact that, well, she never came to me. Because the reality is if you've been canceling on all, all your one-on-ones, you haven't created space or asked the question. And the number one question I would recommend is something like, what's something you need to tell me that I don't want to hear? You know I don't want to hear. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, it's interesting because I, as a business owner and with a small team, if somebody leaves, it's very impactful. It's 20% of my workforce is gone if one person leaves. But on the other hand, I want, in my heart, I want what's best. And I think as do most leaders or owner business owners, I want what's best for everyone. And if it's not best for you to be here working for me, then I'd like to have that conversation and I'll help you transition out. Right. Um, I'll give you the time and the space that you need to do it. I will then also have be on notice that I need to be looking to fill that position. Um, what I don't love is when somebody calls me on my day off and says, I'm quitting and I'm leaving now. Um, and then we get into a conversation and find out that person really wants to become a firefighter. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. I would love to have supported you in that goal if you had simply told me. Right. But we never got there. So you're right. I didn't ask that question, which is a fantastic question. I'm going to have to go back and write that one down because that be, would be super helpful. But um, I think that a lot of employees think employers are going to be mad. A hundred percent. So I'll, I'll run into this type of phenomenon when, when we talk uh, with account executives or account managers about relationships with their producers. Well, no, I can't because he or she and this is how they do their clients. And I'm like, well, what if you were to just propose this alternative and, and indulge me? And, and if they freak out, I will give you a free consulting hour with them to right. make that good. And 99.9% .9 of the time, the producer weeps with joy that the client manager is leading. They're like, great idea. Didn't even think of it. Let's do it. So I do think um, there are myths out there. They, they won't listen. I know they won't. There's nothing she can do or he can do. And to which I also say, you have no idea what's going on. Maybe your firm's about to sell. Maybe there's something else you're going to acquire somebody and there's going to be more opportunity. Um, I, I do think <clears throat> one thing for managers, leaders at all levels to be on the lookout for, though, in this all out talent war that's going on is that because you know, I mean, you know, Joe wants to play a different role in your agency, but because you know there is not a line of people out the door to take that account manager job, you are slow rolling that transition. You're ignoring it, the, the, or you don't want to um, send them out to help, like maybe your big firm, and they could go play a role for another office or another team. And I think we need to check ourselves. Um, where we, we will tell ourselves it's to protect our clients, but it's really sometimes kind of selfish 
you know, we're holding somebody back simply because we don't know how to fill the position. So I think we want to pay attention. Uh, That's pay a great, attention. great, great tip. I, I really appreciate your um, balanced view of both the leader and the service team member. I think that that's, I think that that really brings a lot of perspective that sometimes we miss because we're sitting on one side of the table and we don't have, we don't have the ability to put ourselves on the other side. So, sometimes we, sometimes we do and we just don't, but we really need to be looking at it from, from both, both sides of the and, equation. And I think sometimes it's not right or wrong or our firm is bad or behind it might just be the nature of our business we are a smaller firm we're in a smaller um, region we work with clients that tend to have this type of risk so i think in this new world and economy and next generation of workers something that may be very uncomfortable for those of us from the late 1900s <laughs> is that there is a scenario where not the firefighter, but somebody says, you know, Nancy, I feel like I want to move to XYZ city. I, they want to work for a carrier. They want to go work in HR. They want to go for, to work for a payroll company, maybe even a larger broker to learn some new skills, do their best work and contribute there, learn some things. It's like their year abroad or two years abroad. And in a best case scenario, because this is a long game talent, they come back to you having acquired and learned some things. Yeah, yeah. I, so a lot um, of things that could happen that come out of that. I appreciate that. Um, okay, so let's get back to the nitty gritty of what you're doing now. So um, you're currently offering three different academy programs um, that cater to the insurance industry, most specifically to the benefits side, yeah. although you did mention that you're now starting to work with some property and casualty agencies. In theory, it I can see where that would all mix and match just fine, although we do have some weird idiosyncrasies on our on our side, especially now with the way the health plans are starting to be pulled apart and uh, mm. very different than they were a, a number of years ago. So I'd love to know what inspired you to actually create the academies and then what do they, what do each one of, what are the focus of each one of them? Great, thank you. So back when I was working directly with um, key agency principals on just what went into um, supporting their growth objectives, we would talk about sales because at the heart of it, I'm a salesperson. I've always been, it was a producer, sales manager. Um, we, we would be starting with their RFPs, their offers, their pitch, um, their producer comp formula. Inevitably, though, when we would pull the thread on fundamental issues, we would encounter firms of all sizes. I saw the same um, pattern. There was nobody to do the work. And not in some old school Mad Men episode like the lady back in the office will keep the client happy. But legitimately, like we are out there. I'm reading proposals. We are offering to do really complex things and unbundle plans and examine risk. And the client knows and understands that I, the producer, am not the only person who's going to execute. And inevitably, I would hear things like, well, Sarah's at capacity. We could probably close the deal if we had 10 more Sarah's or Sarah could manage two more groups. And I could not find anybody outside the industry thinking about this. And Big firms, small firms all had their leaders back to my earlier point who were doing all sorts of other things. So I reflected on what helped me scale every time on what Whitney Johnson calls like your, that S curve of learning. It was when I gathered with my study group through the CIAB and key practice leaders from across the country. So I thought, huh, 
could we do that for account executives? And could I help somebody's margin, help them grow if their top people could each manage two more clients? I'm a history major. Let's keep it simple. Right. What could I do? And so in 2019, we um, started the first Account Executive Academy. We now have the sixth one going, just enrolling for the seventh. And the core thing is, and I say account executive might be client exec, senior account manager. It's those key people, whether it's small group or large, that you you rely upon to execute on the promise you've made to the client. And so then, of course, inevitably, as they learn from each other, and we've got a mix of asynchronous learning and community and direct coaching for me, you, you saw patterns where some of them, many, had come up through client service. They were your best account manager who became the client exec. So then very difficult for them to delegate, fully leverage everybody around them, and often weaknesses in the account managers, not because they're bad people, but lack of training. Right. That was the other space. So the account executive might change how they're working with the client and the producer, but if the resources and scaffolding around them, which are all these other resources, weren't where they could be, that was the other. So then they said, well, you need to do an account manager academy for my account manager. So that's what we um, built and just are completing next week the first cohort. In the account manager academy, that's a 12-week program. We take the entire life cycle of employee benefits. And the idea there is, can we take somebody who's either brand new to the industry or an industry veteran, and we tested both and both were successful, and help them think about um, project management, modern communication, and understanding that whole ecosystem in a broader perspective to solve that gap of um, the learning, right? We had some battle right. promotions, people hired during COVID, veterans who've been working a certain way. They're great. They want to learn. They're open to new ideas, but we haven't really talked about it that way. So the account manager academies for that. And then the benefit specialist boot camp, a lighter time and financial investment, run that three times a year to get at some key themes. Um, and we'll see. There's a list of other things people want me to do, but I've tried to embrace discipline this year and make sure that we do it right before we add on any more programs. I love it. Well, I personally was impressed enough that I decided to um, enroll uh, my entire support team in the account manager academy, which they'll be starting in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And they're all very excited about it. But I really thought I originally was going to enroll two people. And then somebody else said, oh, no, I want to do it too. And I'm like, well, I may as well just do my whole staff because it would put them on a level field as far as knowledge and help them as a team to bond and then to improve our the service level of our entire agency. So I know I'm probably a little unusual in doing that. Um, so I'm curious as far as what is your thoughts as far as is it better to have it go to have people go through it as a team? Is it better just a one off? Any experience or thoughts on that? Um, great question. I think um, this really just comes back to intention. So I think that your strategy is an excellent one. If somebody has a small office, a team, um, two, three, four people. I've had um, three, I think, before in uh, this last cohort um, that shared knowledge. I think it also provides you content as, as a team outside of our programming to have them initiate a discussion. So you attend and they say, hey, here's what we heard. This is what we learned from other firms. Um, 
one of the things we do there, for example, is all these firms, they all share checklists and tricks and tips and crowdsource ideas. Um, so I think that is a strategy. It's also a very reasonable business strategy for someone to say, we have a larger footprint. I have two to 20 offices. A business problem we have is we want people to feel connected to other offices so they can leverage other resources, but they don't even know each other. So let's create a community that way. So I think that works. And then the other might be somebody says, I'm curious, um, let's pilot it. So I've had some people send like a supervisor through. They, they are great account manager, but to explore, oh, how does this work? What could this allow us to do? Who could we say yes to and hire if we knew that as they came on board in June, they would be starting the Account Manager Academy in July? Um, and th in those cases where someone's piloting, that's where it's just important to say, Joan, one of the reasons we're asking you to do this is to advise us um, sure. for thoughtful investment. So I think all those things can work. I love it. Well, we're excited about it because uh, this will have it completed prior to fourth quarter. And I feel it's going to give us a really strong foundation to move forward along with a lot of the other the work that we've been doing. So I'm um, really excited to be part of it. Good. Okay. So we are going to shift gears and talk about something near and dear to my heart, dogs. <laughs> so, um, okay. I already knew that you fostered dogs because you had it in, in your bio. But then I did see a post with the most darling dog in a little sweater that had your company logo embroidered on the back or, or knitted on the back, but it was cute. So anyway, tell me about your foster fail. <laughs> Lolo. So Lolo. she's like a, a light brown strip down her back like a marshmallow. So that's Lolo. Um, our 39th foster in June of 2020. And usually we would have three, four, five dogs at a time. And all this was, was a saleswoman's compromise with a high schooler. As a working mom, that's where it started. The origin. I, busy working mom, I said, no pets, no plants. I held firm to that until she was a junior in high school. I'm like, I'm keeping four people going. That's all I can manage. And so she came with what I thought was a pretty reasonable pitch. It was like, well, why don't we foster? We get to give them back. We can fit it in. It was fantastic. It was hysterical. And then we got little Lolo who her twin died and she was sick. And anyway, we took her in June 2020. And, you know, we all did things that year, you know, plot twist. And yeah. we were back. And so the Peninsula Humane Society, it's a thing. It's called a foster fail. So we made it. And um, then we said, no, we're going to keep her. And so when I negotiated the lease here for the office, I negotiated that I could bring her to work. And I mean, she wears her pride dress. She wears her shift sweater. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, That's I mean, awesome. It's no sense, but also, you know, kind of keeps things light. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we more or less have an office dog as well. Our, my, my son's dog who, uh, or my son and his wife's dog that, uh, she comes to the office about half a day and she's, she's pretty funny. She'll sit in the chair literally across from me at my desk and sit in there and stare at me like a client. So I'm like, well, you know, you're a little less trouble than some of my clients. So it does, it does, uh, it does help the mood. I think it just adds a little bit of, um, warmth and personal touch. So I love it. Um, okay. So we are, we have made it to the final section of the show when we get my five burning questions. So my first question is always, what is your absolute favorite food in the world? And can you cook it? Nachos. And why would I? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I personally am on a quest. My family calls them vacation nachos. Everywhere we go, I will assess and there are all sorts of nacho mama jokes. And no, don't don't like to go to the grocery store. Don't cook. Well, you, you, you are in the Bay Area, so you have no shortage of good food. So I don't feel too terrible for you. <laughs> so, um, okay. So what is the character trait that you admire most in other people and why? I think on this, it is um, curiosity. The opportunity for all of us, if we can pause and examine what, what we might do in order, to, like, what would it take so that I could say yes to this? And I think that when we are curious, it shifts our mindset and we can um, really avoid a lot of pain. And when I see leaders being curious about how to leverage their talent, how to approach their business, how to have conversations, when I see client team members being curious, really great things happen. So I'm on the lookout for that all the time. Okay. So if I turn the mirror on you, what's the character trait you're most proud of in yourself and why? So I think it's a twofer. It's, it's candor with compassion. Okay. When I think back to when I led a team at the firm, what I would say to people is like, I, I'm like your agent. Like I, I owe it to you to thoughtfully and professionally, you know, kind of share the stats, share how you're perceived, deliver it when I was doing my best work with compassion. This is one of the things why I, I mentioned earlier, paying attention to when you're going to have those conversations so you don't bring energy from another meeting into those conversations. And then also in the client service academies, you know, I'll say, look, there's never been a better time to be in this industry. And I will tell you the truth. I'm the friend that will tell you if you have spinach in your teeth, but I do it because I don't want you to suffer and be unnecessarily stressed. And as a result, miss the great opportunity. So kind of the two C's, candor, candor with compassion. Well, I like that a lot. So what has been your biggest challenge with establishing the academies? Really, whether it's at the leadership level or engaging with members when they're in it, it's interrupting this frenzied cycle of, of busy. You know, I've yet to have a conversation with a single leader in our business who doesn't agree with me about our gap in helping up-level and train our valuable client service colleagues. Not one. However, and, and it's whether they work with me or anyone else, it, it's, it's just finding the time to think about it. And then that next step, do I, if I make this investment in my team, can I commit to the consistency of reminding them that it's important? Because what I see, because we measure everything behind the scenes, is that when I have, let's, let's take you for example. So let's say you've got great intention and your team's going to come into the account manager academy. If you didn't have all four, you had one or two, and you were all doing all the things, and you 
didn't ask routinely about Account Manager Academy. In your brain, you're like, I'm sure if there was a problem, they would tell me this is jinky or we don't like it or whatever. But you're mostly focused on the claims problem or the new client. Really what you're signaling to them is where their attention should be. So we've integrated things like, here's a suggested weekly check-in questionnaire. Not, it's not to micromanage, it's to show that it is worthwhile for you to invest this time. So we are curious, we are getting creative in ways to interrupt that because the results show that when people create the time, they, you know, it, it solves the problem. So the busier they tell me, the more they resist, I'm too busy for this program. I'm like, well, then welcome. You need yeah. the program, right? You're in the right place. Right. So that's really been the biggest challenge. And I have such deep empathy. I mean, at one point I was wearing... 32 hats and 20 direct reports. And, and I've been there and I wasn't doing it in a pandemic, trying to reimagine all these things. Um, but also going back to the candor and compassion, if somebody's telling me that they want to grow their business, it, I mean, bad things are going to happen if you're not being thoughtful and we don't create the time. So yeah, maybe longer than you were looking for. But no, no, no. That was, a, I appreciated that. Okay. So on a lighter question, <laughs> what is your secret talent or something people will be surprised to learn about you? Well, always it's the dogs that, that would surprise them. But I would say um, when I'm not thinking about client service and the insurance industry, it's been my role as one of three daughters helping parents age gracefully and with dignity in the midst of one compounding medical crisis after another. So I think what would surprise people, and in fact, this is going to be my in May every day, I've committed to things you should know if you are helping um, care for a loved one, like what to bring to the hospital, what should be here. And I've learned how to give IVs, change catheters, like a, where I'm always like, I'm a history major who became an insurance broker. Like I talk about healthcare, but I don't deliver it. And, but you do. But I do. So that's going to be um, the tips in May. But I think that these, some of these skills and little things that I've learned because things just had to be done um, is probably something people don't know has been going on in the background of my life for the last couple of years. That's very interesting. On a side note, um, wait, I just, uh, we're in, getting into our third episode of a series that we were doing about um, five surprising conversations you should have in the workplace. And one of the, one of the conversations is about the subject of caregiving and how many people are affected by caregiving mm. in the workplace. And as an employer, leader, manager, if you're not opening the door to those conversations, um, you're missing a great opportunity to support your employees and help them through their support of, of other people. So um, I really appreciate that. I'll look forward to that series. Yeah, Hunter, that this is like as practical as it gets. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Okay, so last question. So who is one person, um, famous or otherwise, that you would most like to meet in real life and have a cup of coffee, glass of wine, not plate of nachos with, and just have a good conversation with? Rob Lowe. Okay, well, who can deny that one? <laughs> Because why not? Because Rob Lowe. That's right. I love it. That is That might be the best answer yet. So that was fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jen. It was just such a great conversation. I learned, I personally learned so much. And I hope that um, others that are out there 
Hopefully you listen to this um, at your leisure. If you're not here live, there's so much value that can be brought to an agency with a thoughtful and um, well-organized training program. And if you don't have the time to do it yourself, um, Jen's got some fantastic resources for you. So if people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? They could message me right within LinkedIn or send me an email to Jen at GenuineShift.com. And I think, Nancy, for people who doubt whether or not LinkedIn can be effective for business, you and I have never met in real life. Um, you got to know me by my posts. And so for people who are wondering if it is worth their time, I think it helps you clarify your thoughts and also does um, create connection, which is just so important in our industry to get better and have more fun. So I appreciate oh. the invitation today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that um, that last comment because I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it, I, I put a lot of effort into it and people often ask me why. I'm like, because it pays off. It really does. So thanks again, everyone. And um, we will see you next week. Take okay. care.